Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. There is an insert in your bulletin if you, if it, you need, need that or like that to kind of help you follow along. We've got uh, stuff on the screen as well. Matthew, chapter 5. We're walking through the gospel of Matthew. This gospel calls the reader to respond to the kingdom of God as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. Everybody say, a disciple. Today, we will see Jesus call his disciples close and explain to them what following him should look like. We are about to launch into what is always called the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. And people love that, and it's, a, it's very famous. We're about to get into, if you look at, if your Bible is that kind, if you turn the pages a little bit, ooh, look at that. Woo, look at that. Woo, look at that. I mean, we're going to, there's so, there's so much red ink. And then the Bible, that's a good thing. If you're doing math, it's not. But, yeah, we, they used to say back in the day that all you needed to do was read the red and pray for the power. Anybody ready for that? So we got a whole lot of red letters in front of us. We got the real Bible right here. So there's a whole lot of red letters. But uh, what we're going to do is uh, let Jesus introduce this teaching to us. And really, Matthew has organized these teachings in different sections in his text on purpose. But Jesus begins this teaching, this, this teaching to his disciples by congratulating them for choosing the most blessed life. The beginning of the Sermon on the Mount is a, is a series of congratulations. Let's read. Matthew chapter 5. I'll, I'll, I'll give you one or two comments on the way in here as we take off. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. That phrase, he went up on the mountain... Again, like we said, Matthew quotes the Old Testament a lot or alludes to it, oftentimes using the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew text. And this phrase in the Greek, he went up on the mountain, is used three times in the Pentateuch to describe Moses ascending Mount Sinai. That, this is not an accident. This is when, Matthew, will, if he wants us to know something, he'll allude to it. And if he alludes to it, it's a big deal. Three times. So Jesus goes up on the mountain. He wants his audience to know. He's signaling to them that Jesus is not just a new Moses. He's the, he's the Moses 2.0. He's the new lawgiver. So in other words, Jesus, he's signaling to his audience. Jesus is about to lay down some, some nourishing, life-giving, this is the way you do this type of teaching. But here's another nuance. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up onto the mountain and he sat down. His disciples came to him. Don't miss that Matthew is intentionally drawing a, a nuanced distinction between the crowds and the disciples. Crowds were following him. Crowds loved the fish and chips. Crowd loved to come Christmas and Easter. Wonderful. Okay? But now, but Jesus is calling out from that crowd the disciples, people whose commitment to him goes beyond the temporary, the whim, or the convenient. It's important. Because what we're about to hear is Jesus' message to those who have said yes to him. Those who have said yes to his lordship are, are, are the target of what he says next. Everybody else can hear if they're watching, but Jesus has said, Jesus is 
well, I, he hasn't, I, I'm looking like a lineman here. Jesus sat down like a, like a rabbi would to teach. If he, has, if, that, if he had something important to say, normally you'd sit down and you would teach. So here's what he says. He, began, he opens his mouth, which is another idiom for saying he's about to say something. He, he, he opens his mouth and began to teach them, saying, are you ready? Here's verse 3. Here's the words in red. Whoo, you excited? Pretty good. All right. I want you, as I'm, list, as I'm reading through this, I want you to see if you can pick up a nuance or a, maybe a, re, a repeated word or thought. You want to try that? We'll try a little hermeneutical work together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are, are you picking anything up yet? Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger. Now, it's, 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 very, it's very tricky to see. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed, now you need an advanced theological degree to discern the emphasis here. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the, oh my, it doesn't stop. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. And in the same for in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. How many of you picked up? I know it was tough to hear. How many of you picked up something that was supposed that was emphasized in that passage? Did anybody pick? What did you pick up? Blessed. All right. And I would like you to say that word aloud, everybody, please. Not bad. You're doing better than first service so far. And usually first service is a bit rambunctious. Um, uh, But I want you to say blessed in a way that sounds like you are very happy about it being said. Can you try it together? One, two, three. Blessed. Uh, You did. Thank you, son, for bailing me out. You really did a good job there, bud. I was like, who's yelling so loud? Oh, mine. Uh, uh, yeah, but actually, Matthew, Maxwell got it there. Uh, this, this idea is, should be something that just sounds like, you know, whatever I said, I made the mistake of identifying one sports team first service, and I got a riot on my hands. So basically, you, that word blessed is something that you, should, that you should shout like fill in the blank, whatever team you like, did something neat. Does that make sense? So one more time, just for the sake of emphasis, everybody say that word again like, like your team just did something. Ready? There. Now you've got it. That's how you should feel about that word today. What does that word mean? What does Jesus mean by what he's saying here? What's going on? What does Jesus mean by blessed? And why does he keep saying it over and over again? This word in the Greek, blessed, is, uh, it means you ready? Soup. It means blessed. It doesn't mean a wee bit, a little bit. It means supremely. This word in the Greek is the highest type of well-being for any human being. 
it, it is a word that would describe not the one percenters, but the, the 0.5 percenters. It's not a verb that says that, that like God blesses or, that's they, or that something happened to them. It's an adjective. Jesus is describing something, not even prescribing. He's describing. The blessed here, friends, are those who are to be congratulated for being so very fortunate, so very favored, so very well off, and so very, very happy. That's how he begins the Sermon on the Mount. Now, that there's a precedent for this in the scriptures. It, it, it happens for us in the Old Testament. And again, in the Septuagint, in Deuteronomy chapter 33 and 29, it has this phrase using the same Greek word. Uh, 33, 29 says, happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. See, there's a, simply recognizing a truth and celebrating it. You hear that? Again, again, it's very common throughout the Old Testament to present, to celebrate a concept like this. But Jesus does it here more than anybody has done it on record. So whatever G, my mom, <laughs> sorry, I just remembered it. My mom, my mom used to, when she get frustrated with, if I would, perhaps was acting a little bit too ecstatic about something, she would say, what are you celebrating? <laughs> and I just heard that phrase. What? Because So it's common in the Old Testament, but it's, it's points here and there. So like Psalm 1-1, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked? Psalm 32, how blessed is he who is sin and forgiven? All the way to chapter Psalm 40, how blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust? Psalm 128, how blessed is everyone who fears the Lord? So it's present in the Old Testament. It's present in measure. But now Jesus opens up the Sermon on the Mount, and he doesn't open up both barrels. He opens up eight. Boom, 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 boom. Bless, 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 bless. And the question is, Jesus, what are you celebrating? Now, there is something instructive when there. When these blessings are celebrated, when these things are presented and celebrated, these declarations, there is something instructive in them, of course, because they do speak to our hope. They, they arouse our hope and our expectations. And Jesus often, when he wants to motivate us, will speak to our expectations. He desires to stir hope and faith in us as a motivator. Really? Does that sound new to you or just like boring? Listen, when Jesus wants, look at the Bible, we'll see it together. When Jesus wants to motivate you to, to do, he rarely, he rarely, if ever, will threaten, although there are some of that, like, or else in there. Most of the time, when Jesus is calling us to behave or to believe, he speaks to, all, not just to our expectations, but to the wildest, greatest expectations. He excites fantastic hope to move us forward. And here's what he's doing again here. He is in, he is uh, informing our expectations. And by doing so, we really are incentivized to somehow identify with or emulate these, these virtues, these characteristics. In other words, two things are happening, but the first one is more important. The first thing we should hear in these first ele uh, 11 verses are congratulations. Everybody say it out loud. Congratulations. congratulations. Really, that's what you should hear. Congratulations. And then the echo of that is, and by the way, you too could be blessed. 
So then, if Jesus is saying, you're blessed, congratulations, who? Who is blessed? Who is talking to? <laughs> who is he talking to? What is he saying? First of all, he is not being blessed. He is not presenting a, a quid pro quo teaching. Now, this is where people kind of, I would encourage you to lean in a little bit, especially if you've read, you know, a little bit of Matthew or you have, you know, your Sermon on the Mount book that by some folks, you know, uh, and if you like to isolate some of these things and laminate them and put them on your fridge, you know, it sounds like if you do this, you will get that. Unfortunately, some English translations and some um, uh, uh, hermeneutic preaching approaches have treated this like Jesus is offering you a blessing in exchange for something that you'll do. You'll, if you do this, you'll get that. This, there is none of that here. There is no this for that. That is, de- that, that is a prescriptive or, 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 or a perhaps even a subjunctive clause. <laughs> okay, no, That's not here. These are all just descriptions of what is true. So it's not of this for that teaching. He's not offering you a trade for something if you do something. He's declaring something that is true. But he's also not presenting, <laughs> he's also not presenting a list of eight optional promises for you to choose from. Right? Because you know that people do that, right? They, they read that and they think, ooh, I want to be a peacemaker. I want to be called the son of God. Or, or, wait, or wait a minute, or, or, or maybe I want to inherit the earth. Which one do I want? I'll do that one. No, no, these aren't eight separate little blessings for you to choose from if you do the right thing. Not, I'll take door number three, Jesus. No, 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 no. Being blessed, here's the quick, fast answer here. Who is blessed? Being blessed in this text, take a deep breath, this is super easy. It's just right here in the book. It's, it's not even hard hermeneutic. Being blessed is a result of receiving the kingdom of heaven. Being blessed is a result of receiving the kingdom of heaven. If I put my hand up to my ear like that, that's the invitation for you to participate with what we're saying. Let's try it again, okay? Being being blessed is a result of receiving the kingdom of heaven. We know that because these blessings are placed on purpose in rabbinical fashion in a bracket, Verse 3 and verse 10 create a bracket of teaching there for us, like bookmarks. They contain it, like holding all these blessings together. What's the bracket? How, what, what contains these blessings? The present possessive. Verse 3 says, theirs is the kingdom. Verse 10, for theirs is the kingdom. The kingdom is the present thing that guarantees. How you hear that? Oh, here he goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. He's like, who's next? I'm not coming any further. We're like, all right. <laughs> I mean, I got a free spot right there, but I got a little one there to get nervous. Uh, the present possessive of the kingdom, the fact that the kingdom is, when the, the others will say uh, they will be comforted, they will inherit, that doesn't make those like, oh, don't worry, that's someday far away. The fact that they're anchored in a present possessive speaks to their certainty. Not their distance. You will be comforted. Not, oh, someday, don't worry about it. No, you certainly will be. You, you will see God eventually. No, you understand, because you possess the kingdom, you will see God. 
Okay? You, and, 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 and you will, you will inherit the land. What's that mean, inherit the land? I'm going to be a land baron? I want Montana. Uh, <laughs> I don't know who wants Montana, but how about Australia? Like, let's, yeah. Okay? Uh, okay? But it's not just that. It's not just you're going to get dirt. Oh, like Jesus is not promising you dirt. Not necessarily. He is speaking in, 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 in Jewish, Hebrew, idiomatic phrases that for them, inheriting the land has always been about God's promise. God's promise of provision and blessing and prosperity and security. And so what he's saying, possess the land, means you will possess everything God has promised you. You certainly will. Why? Because you possess now the kingdom. So who's the blessed? Those who have received the kingdom. And that brackets, that includes all these blessings. One more, one more supporting text to make sure we understand that there isn't a, uh, that the kingdom isn't the door prize. The kingdom contains all of the prizes. Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, past tense, blessed us with, take a deep breath, every spiritual blessing In heavenly places or in the heavenlies. Every single thing that heaven has good for you has been assigned to you because you possess the kingdom. Fourteen people are pleased about that. But you're all sitting too far away for me to stand on your chair. Listen, if you don't want me to stand on any more chairs, invite more people to church. Make them sit on the front row. You're counting him. He would come anyway. What are you doing? Oh, yeah. You, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were telling me two people, but you're saying word up. Okay. I don't, it's what the kids are saying. <sighs> I'm sorry. Hang on. The 90s were calling me. I real quick. I just wanted to. Hello? 90s? All right. Let me know in the 80s call. I'm there. Uh, woo. So how do we enter? How do we? If, if, the, if the kingdom is the thing that contains all of the blessings, and that's happy, how do we receive the kingdom? What? Yeah, I haven't told him yet, so you can't answer yet. Okay. Jesus has already told us. Matthew has already made a point to tell us. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17 says, from, wait, where's my line? Um, the camera, okay? Uh, it says, from that point on, or from the time that Jesus left Nazareth, went, went into Capernaum and Galilee, from that point on, 4.17, from that point on, Jesus began to preach what? Repent. What is that? What? Repent. <laughs> like Jesus is in a train. <laughs> Uh, everybody say repent. repent. He, from that 417, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Meaning if I want to get the kingdom of heaven in my hand, there's only one thing for me to do. Everybody say it again. 
So if repentance is my access to the kingdom, if repentance is how I get into the kingdom, if repentance is how I, is how I receive the kingdom, then what Jesus is doing in the first few verses of the Sermon on the Mount is he is offering a congratulatory celebration of repentance. Congratulations, you've repented. Congratulations, you've repented. This is what repentance looks like. It it looks like this. It acts like this. It does this. It feels this. It acts this way. This is repentance. But congratulations are in order to everyone who has repented. Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of heaven includes all this stuff. All right. Jesus begins his teaching on discipleship. With a celebration of repentance. He congratulates the repentance. The repentant. He's, remember who is he called close to him? Disciples. He's talking to people who have. He's talking to people who have. Yeah. He congratulates them for on the favor and the fortune they have now. This, too, is instructive because it speaks to our expectations because Christ reinforces our commitment to repentance by celebrating its reward. These blessings, when, 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 when we read the, these beatitudes through the lens of repentance, it helps us appreciate, understand what repentance is and does. It helps us to reorient our lives toward heaven. We understand that repentance is not a single decision. It is a reorientation of my heart and the posture of my heart and the practice of my life. Therefore, this is what he says. The repentant are blessed. Who are the repentant? This is what it looks like. The repentant are poor in spirit. Now, Jesus is not endorsing in any way. He is not standing up and endorsing lack, human poverty, the suffering people go through when they just don't have enough to survive. He's not saying, congratulations, you're about to die. No, he's not doing that. Please don't make Jesus out like that. That's ridiculous. Okay, Jesus is using an idiom, a a, a, a figure of speech that means to be poor in spirit means to be humble about our capacity to relate to God. To recognize our need of him. That's where repent. In other words, repentance is or repentant people are humble about their capacity to relate to God. They recognize repentance is a recognition of my need for him. My repentance is a desire for God. This is to be contrasted against indifference, arrogance, self-reliance. It's also contrasted against an indifference toward the things of the spirit. You know, a great New Testament, uh, a Pauline epistolary a phrase that would be synonymous with be poor in spirit is this. Earnestly desire the gifts of the spirit. That Paul calls upon us to fervently, earnestly approach the things of the spirit with deep desire. That's called being poor in spirit. I am being humble in my hunger for and my reliance upon the things of God. That's repentance. Repentance creates that attitude in us and jesus says congratulations yours is the kingdom
I'll go more quickly now because I apparently have three more minutes. Don't have faith for it. Just don't try. But we'll respect your time. What else? The, the repentant mourn but will be comforted. They mourn and they will be comforted. This word mourn is not, again, I want to be careful here because I don't want to discourage anybody, but this is not a general promise for, hey, if you're feeling sad in your heart, don't worry, the Lord will comfort you. The Bible is full of those promises, isn't it? If you need a scripture that says the Lord is going to be present in your life, he's going to comfort you, he's going to be with you, start with the Psalm 23 and go on from there. The Bible is full of promises that God is your comforter and your helper. The Holy Spirit is here to do that. But that is not what Jesus is promising here. He is saying that the repentant, specifically, the repentant is, is, are those who have understood this kind of mourning. This mourning is found in the heart of those who repent. This word mourn is the strongest Greek word for mourning, M-O-U-R-N, mourning. It denotes a feeling of helplessness with intense care and sorrow over the horror of sin and man's rejection of God's glory. The repentant do not dismiss sin. Do not, I, I have dear friends, and I, got, I, I love them, but I have a conversation with them. I get upset when people say, hey, look, man, God was never really bothered by your sin. It was all in your mind. It was just the futility of your thinking. I, no, because they, they try to say that's what Paul meant, and it's not what he meant. God was deeply bothered by your sin, and, and the, only the repentant, they understand the, that there's the tragedy and the horrific nature of sin and its effect upon mankind and our rejection of God's glory. But there's a promise that Jesus said, but you're, if you're the repentant, you're going to be blessed because you will find comfort. You will find relief. You, the kingdom will bring that sense of oh, there, and both now and there will come a time when the cosmos itself will breathe a sigh of relief when the justice of God is finally meted out. I'm going to go back over here. Uh, there's more. I don't, I, there's more to say. They, they are they, who, the, the repentant are gentle. Now your Bible might say they are meek, and that's fine. But the word is probably better gentle. New American Standard. You're welcome. Okay. Uh, the word is probably because meek can have a connotation of 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 limp or you know weakness or you know that's nonsense. No, that's not that's not it at all. To be gentle is is no matter how much strength you have, you do not exert force in order to control or dominate others. The repentant don't do that. The repentant have given up. They have surrendered. They have surrendered to God. Therefore, they are not trying to conquer you. I will not conquer you. I will not try to, I will not try to rule you by my voice, by emotional manipulation, by being physically stronger or emotionally manipulative or psychologically whatever or verbally abusive or th- that, that contending because And that's all driven by fear and greed. It's driven by fear and greed. I'm going to push you out of the way. You take what's mine, take what's mine. But the Bible says that, 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 bro, what did you do? How did you get that Argentine guy playing on my phone all of a sudden? That was weird. Uh, driven by fear and greed, but repentance, it, it, it curbs my greed 
It curbs and quiets that desire to control others because I've submitted to God. And the promise is you will receive everything God promised as you trust him. I got to keep going. Okay. They are gentle. They inherit the earth. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. (gasps) Repentance results in a deep desire for relationship with God. Hunger and thirst. These verbs work together to intensify one another. Hunger and thirst. Not just hungry, but also thirsty. Okay? Uh, they, they, are, they are not an expression of they, they are not an expression of lack, but of love. I'm not hunger and thirst for righteousness because I lack or I'm desperate or I'm afraid, but I'm so passionately, singularly desirous for. That's what repentance does to my heart. Repentance makes me crave righteousness. Crave it. Crave it like a buffet. Jack, second service is easier to talk to you about food because you're more hungrier. Repentance produces a great longing to live right and to be right with God. Congratulations. They are merciful. Of course they are. They have received mercy and their inner lives have been touched by the fires of mercy. The genuinely repentant possess a love and a concern and even a sorrow for others. They are are quick to offer forgiveness and kindness and generosity. You can t- I, the repentant are generous people. They are pure in heart and will see God. What does that mean? Pure in heart simply refers to, again, a single focus, an undivided loyalty to God. Repentance means I repent of anything. Hey, watch that. I'm going to push you out of my way. Repent, repentance means everything gets out of my way so that I. <laughs> Sorry. Kings, are you all right there, sis? Yeah, I warned you. Uh, Sorry, your dad's going to... Repentance means I've pushed everything that could obscure my focus or love for God out of the way. That's being pure of heart. That means everything in here, that that what I profess outside matches what I confess inside. My inside and my outside are the same voice. I'm not pretending. The repentant aren't pretending. They are pure in heart. They are peacemakers. Again, of course they are. Repentance rejects. Have, how, when I've repented, and all these things that are true, uh, you know, with, with uh, that the Jesus has already said, of course I'm going to be a peacemaker because repentance in my, I would not have a, an ability, I would not have a palate for strife. Have a, I would have a, 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 a visceral rejection of strife. But I would love peace, and I would work for it and promote it and protect it. And then Jesus says, the repentant are righteous, and, they're that, and, and that their righteousness will be recognized. Look at it, verse 10, and then 11 and 12 kind of help explain what happens. He says that repentance will produce a righteousness that will result in a whole life orientation toward God and doing his will. But righteousness will be conspicuous. 
Righteousness will be recognized. If all the salmon are as women a one way and you're swimming the other way, folks are going to notice. If everybody else is gossiping and you are not, they will certainly start to not appreciate that you are not talking like them. People won't appreciate it when you start acting differently and talking differently. They're going to say, well, why are you, what are you trying to say about me? I'm not saying nothing about you. I'm just trying to act the way Jesus says about me. Righteousness, however, righteousness cannot be inconspicuous. Anymore, as we will anymore, as we will see in a little bit, that light cannot be inconspicuous in the dark. You can't hide it. Righteousness is noticed. It's not, read the rest of it. It's, it's gentle. It's peacemaking. It's not rude and harsh and a jerk and all those things, but it's noticed. It's different. And that righteousness, Jesus said, that righteousness will be resisted. But don't worry, it'll be rewarded. It'll be resisted. For those not long after Jesus, their righteousness became, it was it, unbelievable as it sounds. Get this. The, 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 the government started saying that what they said was righteous was illegal. Crazy, right? <laughs> the government started saying you can't be, you can't believe or talk according to what you think is righteous. It's illegal. As a matter of fact, we'll imprison you for it, and eventually they started putting them to death for it. Crazy. Crazy when the government starts saying, you better agree with us or else. Righteousness is not, doesn't make you rude. But righteousness is conspicuous, and it will be resisted, but it will be rewarded. And that's going to lead us into the next thing that Jesus talks about is the, the effect of that, the re repentance, the righteousness that results from it and the impact that it should have on the world around us. But for now, Jesus closes with this statement. Congratulations. You've repented. Congratulations. You are the repentant. And his congratulatory remarks should help us embrace repentance. Really. Friends, if you're just looking for more therapeutic preaching, try repentance. It'll do wonders for your soul, for your relationships, and your future. Jesus congratulates his disciples for it. What is the expectation of the repentant? Let's take a look at them real quick. Listen to this again. What should the repentant expect? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They will be comforted. They will possess every promise. Their desire for righteousness will be satisfied. They will receive mercy. They will see God. They will be called the sons of God. Theirs is now the kingdom of heaven. Their repentance will lead to righteousness. Their righteousness will be resisted, but they will be rewarded, and great is their reward. That's right. Congratulations. Congratulations. 